I mean, the purpose is, is, is really poetry, curiosity, sort of just like following, following a warmth of, 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 of what I am interested in. Something sparks enough to catch fire. It's just serious play. It's like poetry. It's, it's, it's reacting to the world around you, not necessarily with the, with the design to change it, but just to describe the feeling. I'd like to rest my hairy head tonight on a bed of California stars. I'd like to leave my weary bones tonight on a bed of California stars. I'd love to feel your hand touching mine and tell me why. I must keep working on, yes, I give my life to lay my head tonight on a bed of California stars. I like to dream my troubles all away on a bed of California stars. Jump up from my Hi, everyone. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking to Jason Truco. He's a filmmaker, a director, an artist, a designer, a playwright. He jumps between the underground, the avant-garde, the commercial. He's directed music videos for Billy Idol, Macy Gray, Devo, Queens of the Stone Age, and others. And throughout his career, he's always been using new technology to pioneer new waves to tell stories. He's used virtual reality and augmented reality in theater. And today, we connect about his current projects the role of collaboration, the role of technology in narrative, finding passion and creativity, and the importance of walking. Thanks for being here. Hello, Robert. Hey, Jason. How's it going? Good. Good to hear you. Oh, wonderful. Thanks for uh, making the time. Yeah, well, Jason, the reason I wanted to talk to you is because, you know, when I saw the Apple Vision Pro headset, it kind of reminded me of some of the work you did, I don't know, 10 years ago with those 360 degree immersive theater performances. And you were doing some mm-hmm. VR theater type work. And I was like, man, I need to talk to Jason and figure out what is what 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 is happening in Hollywood? What's happening in storytelling? I need to know what does someone who actually work in this industry think about what's happening? And I thought, oh man, I got to talk to Jason. So I appreciate, I don't know if that's of interest, if we could talk about that. Absolutely. I mean, since then, I mean, I know it's funny when we're talking about 360 degrees, there aren't that many directions to go, but you know, I've been doing a lot of different work afterwards and haven't really thought about it in that, uh, in, 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 in that, in that as a trajectory, but, but I'm happy to, uh, to, to, to have the conversation and, and, and sort of through, through talking about it, probably uh, see where some of my thinking has, has evolved in that. So Jason, why don't we start before, for people who don't know who you are, I don't know, I consider you an artist, theater director, storyteller. How do you describe yourself? What are you working on? What was your career up to now? Anything you'd like to share? Sure. I mean, I, I think you described it just, just as I would, an artist and, uh, and director. Um, oftentimes, and especially lately, uh, a concentration on theater, but sometimes also music videos and some cinema. I guess I, I look all of it sort of as, as an umbrella of art. Right now, I'm working on a gallery show uh, called Contacts with an AI theme to it, which I can tell you about later. Uh, develop an oratorio of, of music with some musicians here in New York, getting ready to do a play in Spain, where I've been working in the last two years quite often about the uh, 
the cafe Chino scene here in New York in the 1960s. So somewhere in that in, in that range of things is is is, uh, is where my interests lie, and and I basically try and follow my interests. Jason, I was reading your older blog that, and you had this essay about your first love being movies. What first mm. brought your attraction to storytelling or movies, or where did that come from? I mean, firstly, it would just have to be this idea of really. Firstly, I think I can remember like a, but like a Jack and the Giant in an animated movie as a kid, and how just seeing something sixty feet high and that everyone in the audience laughed at or, or everyone in the audience uh, gasped from, um, I, I, I think was probably a, an intoxicating experience um, and a thrilling experience as a kid. I grew up at a time when, you know, kids after school spent a lot of time with television, but television still had, you know, the, the days when, when there'd be the old movies on. And, uh, and, and, and I guess at some point I, I I, I developed a fascination with them. It's, I, I, I mean, it's a rather magical art form to be able to sort of look into someone's imagination. There's some magic to it. It's not, not always used magic. And then where, where did you grow up, Jason? Uh, I was born in California and then as, as a young boy lived in Toronto, Canada. And then what, what was the first project in kind of the Hollywood or kind of the narrative industry? Yeah, Social Animal was 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 a company that that came out of an artistic need, I guess. Um, I'd been put together um, through some people that I was working with the request to do a, a music video for Macy Gray and the Darren Johnson ensemble, and it was, it was in a place that was just opening up in Los Angeles called Green Door. Our friend uh, Giuliano Bacor was was doing a photo shoot there and. He introduced me to, to to the people, and, and the request was, uh, you know, we want to do something new. And uh, so I, I went to see the band play at this at this club, and the, the guys who ran the club, you know, snapped their fingers and stuck a, a chair in the middle of the dance floor on this spot. And they were like, sit in this chair. So I sat in that chair, and, and as I looked around, they, they said, now look to your right. You see that table? We make sure that our our best patrons are most visible go there. You see this? And they explained to me how they designed the entire room to, to have some effect to it. And I thought at that moment, I guess the coolest you know video of, of these guys playing in this room would be to have them to be able to, you know, somebody to be able to sit in my chair and look around. And so from that curiosity, I went to... Panavision. I went to you know, anywhere that I could think of to, to see what was available because in my mind it made sense that, that this technology must have been developed, but, but people were, uh, were all very kindly telling me that it was impossible for, for various reasons, for, for issues with the lens or for uh, the size of the, the chips that you'd need at that time. All, all these reasons that it was impossible, and um, we ended up doing it, uh, getting in touch with some people who'd worked previously at uh, at Circle Vision for Disney, and in a team of people who who were just willing to try to sort of take the guts of a bunch of cameras and lenses and and, and put them together 
that became a company, we had to build the equipment to do, to do this video with. Uh, and after we did, it needed to be uh, you know reproduced. Maybe you could just step back in a second for what's the role of music videos at that time? This is like the early 2000s. Is that still kind of the MTV strength? Is that how people were kind of discovered as directors or given experimental flexibility? What's the role of music videos still in Hollywood today or back then? Back then, it was, there were still some channels that were that were running it. You know, we, we it wasn't yet. YouTube might have just been introduced, and and there were outlets for it, but but it was still sort of something that was expected as part of a. A musician's release and and back then because of this idea of professional production um you know people people didn't have the same tools in their pockets that we had with the iphone anything that you did that was sort of for broadcast quality we would shoot a little bit more like a like a cinema show you know there were there were 35 people involved in shooting it not just one or two you know music videos i guess are in some ways, the flyers of uh, of events, right? Uh, the, the things that they make to be able to to advertise in places that they used to see them. As a musical video, as a music video director, if that's what you're asking, I thought it was a pretty cool forum to be able to do some visually experimental and exciting things because. You know, you'd work on something within the confines of a song for a month or two months. They were self-contained little visual stories. Jason, so moving forward in time, all the, the yeah. iPhone and all the democratization of technology, how's that affected your storytelling? I mean, instead of having to hire 35, you know, grips and production people, how has it made it easier or worse or better for you now? I, I mean, it's... I, I, I mean, I think it really makes it this idea that, that that I didn't know that we see in our lifetime, but that sounded good. Was I think we really are at a place right now where making a movie technically is is available to nearly everyone for nearly nothing. The commodity for people, I guess, has become the time and sort of how people organize themselves to be, to be able to creatively collaborate to do such a thing. But, but technically, I mean, on, on this movie that I'm working on now, and I'm just learning this and surprised by it, but, you know, if, it, if we needed to pick up a shot, I could shoot it on my iPhone. You could take a shot of lower resolution and AI will blow it up. The idea of professional production definitely seems to me like it's 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 moved from what was perceived as as a as a necessity to to what now might be perceived as as a luxury. I'm just curious the first is your kind of reattraction to theater is that kind of a, a resistance towards the commodification of all the storytelling because theater is in the present time. And then my second question is you know just the the use of AI is that affecting your storytelling or your you know, story building or narrative building or anything like that. Are you returning to the theater practice? You know, you said you're working on something in Spain. Maybe you can tell us about that. Is that a resistance toward oh, the codification yeah. of, well, you know, narrative? It could be. I, I, I have to think that through with you as, as we talk it through. I mean, I guess I, I would think of it maybe not as, as, as a resistance, but as a place to find the, the warmth and the, and the enjoyment in it. You know, like I remember making a music video that 
came out and was well received and was successful. And and the night that it came out, I, I, I was somewhere away. You know, I watched the numbers go up in the on on the screen, and I watched the comments come through on the on the TV uh, or on on the screen, the computer screen. And there's a certain satisfaction of that, but it's sort of a smaller satisfaction to like winning at a slot machine, you know, or, or, or something. But in, in the theater, first of all, I, you know, yes, I, I, I like the idea of being able to spend time in rehearsal, being spend time with, with, with the other designers and creators in, in a way, and, and, and then be able to put it in front of an audience. And, and, and that's a, an important part of it. And, and even a few hundred people in a room has the, a charge that I think is, 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 is probably just more satisfying to me personally. And I, and, and I don't, you know, claim to, to tell anybody what should turn them on. But, but for me, I, I like being in a room with people receiving something and feel something that's being received and, and, and see something that can be different each time rather than uh, the feeling of putting something out that's finished and getting the numbers back. And then Jason, I think some of your experiments in theater have brought in some AR, VR tools. What's your effort or why do you bring in these technologies into the theater space? I mean, the purpose is, is, is really poetry, curiosity, sort of just like following, following a warmth. Of, of, of what I am interested in. Plays that I directed here in New York that, that are dear to my heart. A collection that I directed with Billy Clark um, at La Mama called Hi-Fi, Wi-Fi, Sci-Fi. And uh, those were some plays that I'd read as a kid in Los Angeles in a, in a book called Robert Patrick's Cheap Theatrics, I believe, and some others put together into collection, but the, but they're plays that were written as science fiction in their days in the, in the 70s and early 80s, but that are no longer science fiction. So, for example, um, a couple falling in love over a screen, um, but there's a five-second delay, and so the, their, their message is impeded. A couple waking up with a, a global electronic consciousness or, 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 or an attempt to, or an ability to, to change out the actors in the play you've seen. So, 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 so the last play in the collection was just uh, the first play or, or second play replayed again with the actors swapped out. So th- th- these were questions that Robert Patrick, um, the playwright, was, was aware of even years before they became possibilities. And I think that you know, the purpose of addressing them today is that they, those, are, those are the things around me. I sort of look at, at my job as to talk about the things around me. And so, for example, you know, I, I, I mentioned that right now there's a little show up of a, a piece called Context that I did with a, a, a friend of mine who's a, a former uh, technology journalist who writes about AIs named Donald Liba. And tape stuck to the wall and a digital display nearby that tells about the artist in the context of what the piece is and, and, and the digital display changes every two minutes and creates a difference. In that way, it's, it's using the, the AI in the art making. And, and I guess it's, it's, it's also about the idea that AI is being introduced into art making. 
Do you imagine a future where the AI is so programmatically unique enough and fast enough to create narrative stories based on, so there's only an audience of one, if you can imagine? Yeah, I, I think it's, I, I think I don't have to imagine, uh, you know, I, I did a little deep dive, which, which, which I guess, you know, I, I would think like, like a binge for days and I, I'm, I was stunned and delighted and disgusted by, uh, by, by how well it is um, able to put things together that are plausibly human. Many writers that I know struggle with, with structure. A computer doesn't have a, that, that trouble of, if, if you can articulate the structure, it takes direction remarkably well. I mean, it seems to me like it would be a, a studio executive's dream. You know, Jason, you sound quite optimistic. I mean, most of when I was in LA the last time, it seemed, you know, it was the writer's strike and everyone was very nervous about the AI. And do you look at it more like a tool or do you think it's something that can replace you? What's your relationship? I mean, you said so. Oh. You had full disgust to enjoyment to. Oh, I mean, I mean, I think, you're, you know, and true, you're talking about like in terms of the writer's strikes or to think we're done for in some of those areas. I mean, Already, I've gone into, uh, and, and this is some time ago now, you know, uh, I've gone into a meeting where usually you'd, you'd listen to some music or and you'd talk and you'd shoot some ideas back and forth. And, you know, now you have this, you know, someone walks into the room with a laptop and things that you're saying, they're typing into an AI and, and there's like a mood board that's done based on how AI interpreted these words that you said. And, and now like people are starting to form consensus over that creatively. And, and that's at the first ideation stage, you know, the first conversation, just as the drummer has gone. So, so, so will we, you know, you used to have a, dr a drummer uh, core, then you had a drum kit, then you had a drum machine and now it's basically just like a, a, a feature on your uh, on your desktop. There will there'll still be a call for for live drummers. It, it doesn't seem like it's a it, it's a growing industry. You know, the, one of the parallels I see. You know, in Japanese they have kanji, right? The characters, uh -huh. the Japanese characters. Yeah. You no, know, thirty years ago or forty years ago, they didn't. Word processors in Japan were not common, so people could physically write out you know 10,000 characters without problem from memory the word processor was introduced and that because of the difficulty of the language it was kind of restricted to the core 2,000 characters of the language that you really use right. word processors and if you go on the street now most people can't write 500 characters because of the the digital aid makes you quote lose those skills so it's the same as people who I don't know if you have friends who can't you know get to the corner that they go every day, you know, the coffee shop without Google Maps. I'm just curious, as a storyteller. Yes. What do no, you? No, it's, it's it's absolutely true, and and, and the stories are, are are becoming. I, I mean, I I think it's 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 widely used, and that and and I think that it that, that people will start to rely on on this regurgitation of storytelling, which you know it it, it also brings up this. Sort of what what feels authentic or doesn't, but I mean it's taking from from real people, so it so it feels fairly plausible. Been reminded of in 
in, in one of the interviews that, that, that you've done that I was listening to in the last week or so uh, talking about how, you know, when you, when you revisit a memory, you're also decaying it. And, and, and I think that that applies to, to AI quite a bit as well, is that you'll end up having regurgitations and regurgitations of regurgitations and regurgitations of more regurgitations. It, it, it feels to me further away from the original fire. How are you on your theater performance and the theater shows you're doing? Is the audience changing? How is their viewing experience hmm. changing from this technology or from just the current state? Attention spans? Are they getting bored? Are they more engaged? I'm just curious. I haven't seen theater in, since pre-COVID. So I, I, maybe I'm... Sure. Yeah, yeah just... no. No, you, you you and everybody else. Tough for me to to generalize about an audience because as soon as you shut the door to the theater, that I think that's what I love about it, is that you it's tough for me to speak for everyone in the audience, more a matter of uh, what other options people have to uh, use stories in a, in a in an art way rather than a design way. Jason, maybe we can go back. What's your approach to a project? How do you you're kind of like an artistic entrepreneur. How do you start a project? Do you first find a play you like? What, what's your narrative or how do you formulate a project and where does it start it, to finish? You know, it, start, it starts and, and finishes in, in different places, but, but usually through, I guess, a, a personal relationship. Each, each project is different. Each project, you sort of have to build your, your, your own tools for the plays that, that uh, that I've loved doing in, in, in Spain happened because I met uh, Paula and Barbara, two, uh, two wonderful, talented uh, people in Los Angeles, and we decided to, to write a play. Some people meet and say that. We you know, rented a hotel room that night and, uh, and started writing, and they came to New York, and we wrote some songs and scenes, and I went to Barcelona for the first time, and we, and we read a series of one acts that we had put together. You meet a lot of people in, in, in a lot of places, but but sometimes something sparks um, enough to catch fire. I think a lot of people have sort of the, the idea of what they could do if they were foolish enough to spend the time to. Sometimes I'm just foolish enough to spend the time to. Where do you get the confidence to actually execute on these projects? Is just it from your past or just where do you get the foolhardiness to just go with, oh. you know... Well, what, what, what's the, um, what, what, what is there to be afraid of? I guess. I mean, do, do you, to, that it requires a great deal of confidence to, to make something like a, a play or a picture? I mean, I think I've never made a, a, a play or a movie. So I think, I mean, I think having that spark one is necessary, but two, it's also having the drive and the willpower to do it. A lot of people procrastinate and they don't know how to go straight. You know, for younger people, how do you direct that energy? Channel the, you know, ideas are, you know, dime a dozen, right? So how do you actually execute on that idea? I, I like to think that it's the same thing that drives us toward guilty pleasures. I, 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 I think that it works best when it has that kind of seductive, addictive quality. A lot of the rhetoric around art making seems rather clinical and, and very motivation based, sort sort of focusing on the on the goal and, and the efficiency to achieve it. Again, for me personally, and, and and it's like sex, you never know how the other people do it. I think that that it has to be something that I can't stop thinking about. 
and that, you know, want to take a break from only in, for enough time to, to get to the next idea or to be able to move it forward and get back to it. People have that, those kinds of feelings for other aspects of their life. And I guess it's, I, I think that, that, that if you can develop that artistically, then you don't have to worry about motivation. You just have to worry about opportunity. Jason, are these sparks divine or where are these desires of come from? Do they just enter your brain or do you actually slowly brainstorm? What's your process to find these arrows to shoot? It's a great question because because there's so many possibilities. I, I would have thought, I think, that the first few times that I, I delved into this area, or like when I was younger, I think I would have thought that it could be more designed, that you can take, as we talked about AI earlier, you know that you could take a formula and and and, and change a few things, and there's a you know there's a way to reason out what the ending should be. There's a right ending. Um, I think I no longer feel that way. Once I can let go of the idea that that, that the right ending ha- has a right and wrong, and and that it's really about what what I'm feeling, um, it let me well, let me do it with. with 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 a lot more ease. Where do the sparks come from? Is it divine? You know, it might be. I mean, it's because because where do where where do any ideas come from, and 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 where do opportunities come from, and and where do all the non coincidence coincidences come from? That wherever all that happens, I guess is where these things start. I I I really like the idea that art is useless for any. Uh, other purpose other than um, communicating a feeling or an idea, and and so I guess it's 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 a it's a matter of of when you have a feeling and and something delights you enough to to start it. And I guess and, I, and I'm sorry for the the starting and stopping in this answer, but I guess you know like, like I'd heard Paul McCartney talk recently about how he and John didn't always write a good song, but they always wrote a song every time they got together. And I think that that's, if I'm comfortable with that part of my process, which is I, I, I like to, to finish the things that I start and not have to, to appraise them while I'm doing them, it's really just anything that seems enough like a good idea that, that I know that I'll take it through the whole process from beginning to end and, and, and see. Jason, how do you, what's your writing process like then? You just said something very important, I think, is that you don't review or edit your work as you're doing it? Do you first write it all out and then review it later? What, what's your actual physical process of doing it? I'm happiest doing it collaboratively, in which case, really, we get together somewhere in person, you know, take a walk. And really, walking is a very important part of it. Pro- probably a good deal of the work actually happens in the walking around. And, and 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 that's true whether it's by myself or or, or if I'm collaborating. Um, there's something really great about taking a walk and and trying to deal with something rather than having it sit there on the table between you. I guess it's really kind of a state of mind. I mean, I it's you know uh, we have a mutual friend Dennis, and he and he he always talks about. And I think you even mentioned some of the earlier interviews. The um, the Halloween haunted houses that they used to build as kids. Like you have to be able to enter into some kind of sense of play. It's just serious play. It's just playing with really good players. 
but you have to be able to, does, does that re- resonate with you and what, what you do? Oh, 100%. I think when you just, well, two things, I think ideas just come from nowhere, it seems like. You'll be walking and it will just float in. And then I'm curious how people remain open or intuitive to those ideas. So sometimes you get an idea and you'll ignore it or something grasps. So that's an interesting aspect of the mind, just what makes you actually hook onto something. And then two, a lot of other people I feel, art, making theater, writing a poem, building a business, it all seems in the end, like you said, play. So I I think if you're having fun, everything else kind of just falls into play and then it will just eventually build. And it's like a Lego set. Once you build it, maybe you'll make it even bigger or maybe you'll throw it away or maybe you'll you know, give it to a friend and donate the, the, the toy. So it's an interesting metaphor, I think, for just life in general and doing any creative project, mm. the aspect of play. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Be, be, because it seems to me that most of the people that, that, that I talk to that are struggling to, to do something creative are very hard on themselves. They're already writing the, the critical reviews for something that, that hasn't even had a chance to exist yet. And, and, and once again, that's actually something else I really like about the theater as distinct from traditional cinema, let's say, working in it, is the idea that a play doesn't have to be the only production of that play. You know, you can, you can, you can do it somewhere and then you can do it again. And then you can do it again. And then other people will be doing it. There, there's, there's some freedom in that and not try and lock yourself down. Are you walking right now in New York? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right now down by the west side. I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking at the Hudson River. Oh, awesome. No, no, it's great. So yeah, I feel like the walking aspect is something that's very interesting. I think a lot of people yeah, learn from that tip. The physicality of that is important, I think. I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I really, I notice how it can affect your mood how it can free things up that, that if you're walking with someone, there's not necessarily a, you know, a, a, you're not looking at the clock to see, okay, we're meeting for this hour. Well, they can go a little long. They can go a little short. Life is bringing you so many different possibilities without interrupting your thought, but sort of just offering, offering invitations. I, yeah, I, 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 I agree. I think walking is, is, is super cool. Do, do do you also do a lot of your work walking? Yeah, I have phone calls and work calls just on the phone walking. It's a good double use. Yeah, I, re- I remember, I mean, in Los Angeles, I used to love that because I would walk down the street and I'd be the only one walking. But I, but I, I love to like on these yeah. empty streets. No, LA is um, the best. I don't think um, Dennis and I walked across LA from the east side to the west side like 25 miles once in one day. I've done it three times now. I took Melrose wow. once, Sunset. And Wilshire, is that the other one that cuts across? Yeah. Santa? yeah, it's awesome. It's like the best thing to do in L.A. No one thinks you can walk L.A., but it's it's great. Every imaginable yeah. culture, every food, you don't need to bring anything. It's like hiking, but you just buy a drink wherever you want or have a taco. Or If you have the patience and time for a day of walking, L.A. is pretty interesting to walk. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I agree I agree with everything you said. It's, it's, it's a beautiful place to walk and you know, it's such a luxury to walk among such great, great things, but it's it, it's still pretty wide open. Here, here in New York, you're never really on any street by yourself. Anyway, Jason, going back to your work, maybe you can tell us just what are what's your play about in Spain? What's the status? How's it going? 
how's working with the two other ladies um, you said? That relationship really opened up to to being a beautiful few plays. We you know we we met as you, as we told you and, and ended up making these uh, six one acts called six sex scenes from a Spanish trilogy. Um, I, uh, again, I don't know where it comes from, but just as I was putting it together, I was sort of thinking of it in my head as these three Spanish plays that these one acts came from. And uh, we read them in a place called the Sala Beckett in Barcelona, which is, again, talking about walking, a really wonderful place to, to walk and work. You know, beautifully, somebody from the, the Grec Festival enjoyed the, the one acts and met with us and said that they'd like to do the full length plays at their, at their festival. So came back the next year to do uh, a play called Richard III and they've never heard of love which was a, a, a play with a play with music. The play was sort of semi-autobiographical for the girls and for me, in, in that some of the characters were very much like us, an American director, two Spanish actresses who, who meet in Los Angeles. I was thinking about uh, how you're like a director in this sense. I mean, the, what you're doing is, is, is very, very similar to, to, to directing in terms of keeping in mind what the, uh, what, what the big picture will be while the events of life are happening. Yeah, that's one of the critiques of interviews is that there's always a, like a theatrical element to it. Usually, that's why maybe I should do them walking, just walking with people, and then that kind of flows away. Because oftentimes the interviewee, some of the people I interview, they just won't answer questions or they're, they'll self-censor. And then the interview will end, and then all the great stuff comes out. I don't know if you yeah, have yeah. that issue with self-censorship or, yeah, maybe we can talk about that or how you present yourself as an artist. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really interesting question and, and it's interesting too. You know, I, I, I don't tend to, to talk a lot about myself and, and, and about my art making except to the people immediately around me. In, in terms of self-censorship, I, as, as I said, I, I guess I, I like to imagine a, not a censor, but, but you know, maybe a, maybe a critic. So Jason, going back to the idea of the critic, how do you interact with your own inner critic? And what advice do you have for people people with that problem or aspect? I guess I, I, I think of mine, you know, the way that people would like to think of God different ways, but some people think of God as the, the father in heaven who loves you. But, uh, but, but, but a supportive one, I'm trying in our conversation not to to censor myself or, or, or to think of another audience other than them trying to answer your question and talk to you with the trust that, that you in a theatrical way will take all of these jumble and articulate words that I'm putting out and find the gems and, and put them together in an order that, that, that creates meaning for, for you. Jason, going to inspiration, you, I would consider experimental on the border between the industry or Hollywood and then the more experimental. Where is the underground right now? Where is the real avant-garde? I'm just curious. Is that like the right wing? Is it Russia? I, I just don't know where, you know, is it North Korean theater? I, I don't know. Where is like the most, not radical, but interesting, non-standard Artistic you know, it's, it's, it's in people. Well, it's, it's, it's in people. I mean, 
it's a spirit that, that, that I tend to find or, or, or maybe find me, although I'm not sure. I'm not sure I could point anyone to it per se, because I feel that we're in a time that people are fairly on the grid. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing to be talking to the most radical underground, you know, basement playwrights about like their Facebook post. That there's there's something about the the open facing internet and the idea that that so many things, at least some aspect of of, of the art making, takes place on a, on a platform. That, that, that makes everything to me personally feel a little less radical and uh, underground. Did you, do you, do you feel that at all? Well, like you said, they're all being funneled through the same gatekeepers, right? So I'm trying to see like, how do you get outside yeah. of those gatekeepers, the Facebook or the Instagram or et cetera? I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't use them. But but I but it's not in a in a political way where I'm trying to to make a statement or influence. I I guess for me it, it, it's a matter of like you're saying is how do I get away from it? Is, is I really try and focus on the person that I'm talking to or the person that I'm writing to? I don't really make sort of general and and and, and don't do things like that. And I guess I talk to people. In, in, in terms of professionally, you know, I'm, I'm talking to, to, to the audience through the artworks themselves, and the other conversations are, you know, personal or, or collaboration conversations that, uh, that that are, you know, talking about how the soup is made. Talking about how the soup is made, one of my last questions, Jason, is that you were with a gallery, I believe. I forget the name of the gallery. How was the process of working with the gallerist? I think you were talking about Annie Wharton. Working with Annie was was really remarkable because she was adamant about my following, just my gut feeling, and she uh, she really wanted to support whatever was coming out of me. She didn't want to cover it. I'll, I'll always be uh, be thankful to Annie. She was she 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 is a wonderful artist herself and. As, as a gallerist, she really stood behind that. There aren't that many people that that I've met in uh, in working. Although I've been really fortunate to meet uh, a few wonderful ones that, that that really are in it to support the the curiosity of the art itself. And then, Jason, maybe on a more practical term, I know you said a lot of your art is just based on meeting people and collaboration. How does the financial aspect of art making affect your work or like, how do you fund these theater shows? Is it that ticket sales? What, what's the practicality yeah. of that? Well, it's, it's, it's becoming more and more of a mystery. That's a question that I'm asking a lot more in meetings as well. I mean, the, obviously the, uh, you know, the music videos and those things came from a record industry that used to support that. And it's been fewer and fewer projects that uh, that have allowed that. Some of the projects, you know, that I did with Kai Arns in, in Los Angeles, some of those projects, I think, benefited from the, the time that, that, that we were doing them because they were they were special in some way. So, you know, we, we worked with 
Queens of the Stone Age. We worked with Glenn Campbell. We worked with Devo. Um, I worked with Billy Idol. And, 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 and in, in some cases, because at that time, and we're talking, I guess, like as you say, about the turn of the millennium, that um, that many of the new technologies were exciting and, and in, in the for-profit world of of rock and roll, let's say, but, but, but also in other areas, people were willing to, to put some resources towards new technologies, new, new ways of telling stories. And, and, and I think that now that's, that's still true. And, and, and perhaps I'm, I'm bullish about it because it's a lot tougher to get money for an actor's salary than it is for something that's using the, the newest tool. And, and, you know, the, the requests from artistic directors and people that I talk to that, that have the ability to, to give me work and to, and to, and to, to, to give us work because my work is all working with someone else. These days are asking, you know, what can we do with one actor, you know, one gentleman of Verona? What can we do with no actors? Isn't there some way that we could solve the problem with technology? I, I, I guess we started the conversation. You were asking me about uh, the fight. I guess that 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 is where where there's the biggest struggle is that I, I I'd like there to be resources for me and 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 my wonderful collaborators to be able to take a walk and sit in a room. It's just funny. I'm not, I'm not a Marxist, but if you read read all this from a Marxist lens, it all seems like dehumanization, commodification of the resources, right? The technology is replacing the yeah. human aspect. So. It, 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 absolutely. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, you, you can tell me how, how, how you observe it, but I, I observe people very, very fascinated with, uh, with the latest gadget or the, or the latest software. And, and, and less so with the, the latest poem. I think on the positive aspect, I think, like you said, the beginning side, it's the democratization of all these tools makes it available for anyone to be a storyteller, right? But instead of yeah. having an audience yeah. of X large percentage controlled by a certain gatekeepers, I think we're all going to have an audience of 15 people who are maybe more loyal than the 15 million. So I think there's an artist, Momus, and I think he said we'll be famous, what, for 15 people instead of 15 minutes? I, I, I like it. I wish that, that there was a way to... It's gathering the 15 people that's the, that's the challenge. You know, if, 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 if you can do it for 15 people a night, I'm not sure what the, what, what the sustainability is of, of being able to find a place to do it in, in some of these places. And, and, and that's that's what it's down to. I mean, I, I, I like the idea of doing something for small audiences. And, and, and I do think that that's the, the place where a lot of exciting things happen. I, you know, I, I think it's also in trying to find people who are in the, the creative sphere that, uh, that might have some of the, the business acumen to, to think through some schemes that, that, that could be helpful. Because in the in the creative area, I think people tend to shy away from the, the, those roles as producers or very business minded kind of people, and, and and maybe rightfully so. The the most creative business people 
tend to apply themselves to things that uh, that have higher feelings. It, you know, like you said, whatever, 20 years ago, the record companies would fund your, they'd assign you a, a suit and give you a, a producer and you could focus on the artistic part. Now these, the smaller and smaller record companies have outsourced all their marketing to the actual artists. Like they won't sign an artist unless that artist already has an existing, what, TikTok following or Instagram base. You could be the most creative yeah, I mean, in the world, so but they won't hire you unless you already come with an audience, it seems like. So they've outsourced all that marketing. Yeah. Effort. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. And, 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 and outsourcing many aspects of it. You know, we we talked a little bit about uh, Paula, my 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 dear friend and, and collaborator. After our plays and and after the world shut down, before we were able to pull up to bring the the play from Spain to New York, Paula released her music in Spain as music under under a under a character's name, and became wildly popular there. So you know, she she's an example of somebody who's built a career outside of a record company, taking care of her own material, booking her tour, rehearsing it, putting the people together. See the wonderful side of it. And as you were describing, I, I, I can see the, you know, feel, feel the challenges of it from people who are wanting to or, or, or needing to be supported in, in that effort. I mean, I guess it comes back to the concept of play if you're having fun, but what advice do you have people how do you encounter these challenges? How do you keep going when things are always shifting and changing? You know, there there, there was a there is a rabbi who I love in uh, in Los Angeles, and he says that his mother always used to say, "We only have these problems while we're alive." I I I think you know I I don't like to give advice a lot because I don't take it a lot, but but I come back and think about that often because it it isn't always a a picnic, and and things don't always fall in your lap, although they're obviously the best when they do. And uh, so, you know, I think to, to to try and the best we can to enjoy the fact that we're, that we're struggling on, uh, on struggles that, that we enjoy with people that we enjoy, hopefully. Um, I'm also reminded of something that I, I, get, I get from uh, the working with my friend Paula, too, of, of, of that we tend to look at things of how to make sense. You know, she often says, Oh, so, so, so this way it has sense. And, and, and I think it's that, you know, being able to take the things that, that, that the world provides and put them together in the, in the shape and order that they have sense. Uh, you, you may not have control over what those pieces are, but you have some control about how you organize them and react to them. You know, none of this is, is, is wisdom for me, but, uh, it's wisdom that I'm happy to, to pass through me if I envision the, the person you're asking me to uh, share it with. And then, Jason, how can people find your theater work or your other work? What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? What a great question. Um, I tend not to, to, to have any personal marketing. So the best way to get a hold of me might be to get a hold of you. And you could put them in, in, in touch with me. Um, I, I, my work is, is is variously presented by the by the presenters, uh, you know, the theaters or the or the the bands or the the galleries. Um, and, and and I'm sure that 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 you can find some 
my, my apologies for not uh, having it organized in, in in one place. I, uh, I I just sort of adopted this as a as a tradition. So why is that habit? Why do you not humble, but why are you so behind the scenes? And when you have a lot of things being produced, and why do you kind of hide behind the curtain? Huh? You know. I mean, first of all, it, it doesn't take a lot of hiding because it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's not doing things like that. And I guess I take, I take these kinds of things so seriously, let's say like showmaking or make, you know, making a photograph or, 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 or writing something. And, and, and I put so much effort into the, the play or the, or, or, or the picture or the, or, or the gallery show. I guess I think that, that it would be a whole other job to have to, have a public facing character and that's probably how I would I, I would approach it I guess also because I think that like some of the greatest experiences that I've had happen in private and and and, and I don't have this compulsion that uh, that the things that I'm enjoying the most as a as, as a person is something that, that, that ought to be shared no I think that's a beautiful answer I just it's interesting going back to the concept of the interviews and the theater it's almost like you don't want to play the role. Mm-hmm. You're 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 sufficiently content playing the other role that you're in, the maker, right? You don't want to be the actor in the in the play. Yes, yes. I, I I I I don't want to be doing all this work alone. I don't I don't want to be the star of my own production based on a story by me. I I, I you know I I I do make some some works, you know, visual works and those kinds of things by myself, but even those generally have some other component of working with people because I feel like that's one of the one of the best ways to spend my time. Great. Anyway, Jason, anything else you want to share other than your advice for walking? Huh. Well, I, I, along with walking, it's interesting just because I'm here today. This is some place that I come a lot with uh, a friend of mine named Daniel Root who just wrote uh, or just put together a book called New York Bars at Dawn. He walks every morning at dawn and uh, and photographs places that have interesting light situations. And, you know, a lot of his work came out of that walk. I, I think it's nice that you, uh, that you centered in on it. I'm, I'm also interested in, in, in what, uh, what, what have you been up to and what's inspired you lately to, to start the series? I'm interested in just building parallel I guess societies where people are just making things of interest across all media, be it a writer, be it a farmer, be it a chocolate maker, be it anyone really, a technologist, a video game person. I think there's common threads and I'm trying to find where those entrepreneurial creative threads come from and how people Hmm. are motivated. So if you can learn from a cheesemaker or you can learn from a, a playwright, I think there's similar parallel worlds and i'm also interested in just breaking echo chambers so i don't really have a left right diagram or interest i'm not interested in politics really but obviously it affects them so i'm just trying to see how we can you know try to the world's so polarized now so if you can talk to someone who's totally different than you maybe you can find some similarities and i think that can have some and then i read this amazing statistic that something like you know 99 of the content on the internet is made by less than one percent of the people so it seems like we should be on the, if you're actually want to have any influence of how things are going, 
you know, it's better to be a part of the 1%. Right. Right. Just putting things out there, then you, like right. you said, you, you get messages out. Maybe you don't. You know, you only need a thousand people reading and then something happens, right? Maybe someone will be inspired and do something. And I, I don't know. I like talking to weird people too. It's interesting. Totally outside of one's sphere, right? Like if I talk yeah, to them, yeah, yeah. I, I just see what they're up to, right? Like a, a barkeep mm -hmm. in New York, like how's their life? Or, you know, I interviewed this homeless guy. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Right. You know what I mean? So you can just right. learn. And if you put things out there, I mean, if you, if, you know, a few thousand people listen, that's something, right? If you actually imagine it as a room, it's actually kind of wild. Like a theater performance. Well, I mean, that's again, I, 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 I go back to this, you know, like I'm, I'm not even as a few thousand people. I'm, I'm sure maybe through the run of a play, a few thousand people see it. But I, I keep thinking about some of the greatest things that I've been to where it was like three people in the audience. I mean, that, that, that's what, maybe to go back to that question that, that, that you addressed earlier is that I think that we've whacked our scale up a little bit for, for impact. The reason that I ended up making the play that, that I did at the festival was because we did the reading of our one acts in the smallest room that the theater had available to us. You know, one of those 30 people happened to be the right person to, to bring this adventure into our lives. You know, what they talk about like when the police played America for the first time and playing for empty bars to get through the tour. There's an aspect of the show must go on that that helps with this, and 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 maybe it's something that I I know that sometimes that people take it in a in a way that uh, that feels like a a boot on their neck, but. I think that the, the idea that the show go, must go on and, and that the that whether it happens for an audience or whether it just happens because it happens, it can be it can be a wonderful thing. And and, and that the impact isn't isn't measurable. Yeah. So that I mean, like you say, you just have to keep making things and you know, listen to that spirit and sometimes you make things and sometimes you don't and just go with the flow, I guess, right? It's like poetry. It's, it's, it's reacting to the world around you, not necessarily with the with the design to change it, but just to describe feeling. I mean, I guess right. I, I guess it's following the tradition of those cave paintings, trying to trying to use technology to tell somebody that wasn't there what it was like to be there. Yeah, but Jason, what's so interesting about producing art, those cave drawings or AI generated drawings is that when you produce there's a spell making aspect when you write poems you're actually influencing and creating a reality so you're actually partaking in actual magic yeah so you know even if you make that theater for three people and that you're actually entering into their shared reality which is absolute you know beautiful and wild yeah it absolutely does and it, and it reverberates i mean as I said, the, 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 in, in the play Richard III, the character that Paula plays becomes a, a big superstar. The mayor of Barcelona talks to her. She becomes pregnant. You know, all these things that, that seemed outlandish from where the people we originally based the characters on were in, in our lives at that time. But so many of the things that, that seemed outlandish in the play has come to pass and and there's a magical feeling about it 
as you said, saying you know, saying a word at at the right time. Not that there's a right time, but the but at the right time for for someone to hear it can influence something thousands of years later. I mean, it's it's uh, it's something that I love about about the the Torah. The you know, you're looking at like a story, both in the sense of the story between people, but also in the reverberations hundreds and thousands of years later. You're right. There's, there's something magic about doing anything. And, and that little critic in your head that stops you from bringing something into, into the world. But, but, but it's also a lot of responsibility. So I guess it's ought to be lucky. Yeah, well, it's, it's what's the sorcerer's um, tale? Right, like once you create the magic to move the broom, right? If you don't know where your 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 spells are going, you know the Disney, you know the original Disney's character where the the brooms start taking over the room. I don't know if you remember that scene from that Disney movie, but you know once you put out the magic, no, I, you have, I, yeah, there's that famous Disney movie from the twenties, the, the the sorcerer. Yeah, no, no, I no, I no, I no, I no, I definitely remember the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Correct, that's it. So. Anytime you you know spell cast with your words or your creation, you have to understand that it might have an impact that you might not imagine, right? Like the same if you say anything, it has some positive impact and it might vibrate in a different way that you never imagined. So like that that responsibility is always yes. there. Yes. I, I I I think that's that that's absolutely true and and, and absolutely lovely. And it's funny when I when, when I struggled at the beginning of this conversation to think of where where the first love of movie I've, I'd seen and I was just thinking of some animated movie. It's true that it, 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 these stories become our way of communicating to each other. And, and, and a lot of the, the things that feel poetically true being verified by, by our experiences. Well, Jason, I don't want to take more of your time. Jason, just sending you a lot of love. Have a wonderful day and enjoy the sun. Thanks so much. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Of California stars, I'd like to rest My heavy head tonight on a bed Of California stars, I'd like to lay my weary bones tonight on a bed Of California stars, I'd love to feel your hand touching mine and tell me why I must keep working on, yes, I'd give my life to lay my head tonight on a bed of California stars. I'd like to dream my travels all the way on a bed of California stars. Jump on from my star bed, make another day underneath my California stars.